fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try Hey everybody and welcome to big episode number 87 of the fourth season of the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good people at the Rotor Street Journal. We're paving your way to fantasy glory and we'll be acting as your lead blocker in the lead up to the 2019-2020 season. Is it just the 2019 season or is it 2019-2020? Seems- 2019, yeah, because fantasy is over by 2020 hits. That's, of course, the Super Bowl and everything, but 2019 season for fantasy. Do you consider the Patriots – was this – was the 20 are they the 2019 champions? I think that's where it becomes the 2018-19 champions because yeah. that's when the Super Bowls actually played but it really was the whole 2018 season in like right. a month of the, right. 2019. To me to me the Eagles are the champions of the 2018 season. The Patriots right. are the champions of the 2019 season. Yeah. Anyway, that's just me. You know, I don't know what yeah. the kids nowadays call it, but that's what those of us that are in middle age and for you in that uncomfortable decade leading up to middle age. So appreciate it. You're going to get more and more crotchety as this next decade goes on. Of course, I'm oh, your host, God. Not the Truth Jones. <laughs> With me, as always, the not so crotchety, but getting more crotchety every day, uh, <laughs> co-host of this show, the brain trust of the Roto Street Journal, the mastermind before all this stuff, the wolf of Roto Street himself. How's it going, bud? Hey, doing fantastic. Summer break is well in the swing now. A couple weeks in, we got the 4th of July coming up, which is always one of the best holidays to just gorge on hot dogs. Mm. I was I was actually having this conversation the other day. Like, I, I do like hot dogs, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if I eat hot dogs any other time of the year, maybe once or twice. You have yeah, kids, like a couple so you times. might do them a few now, now and then, but it, the 4th of July, I end up eating like 20, and maybe that's why I don't eat anymore, because it's like I have my own Joey Chestnut well, competition with myself. You know how <laughs> and, I feel. Feel oh, about this. I mean, I, I always wanted to put out. And last year, you you actually oh, yeah. stopped me from doing it. You you stopped <laughs> me from asking some of our some of our more established guests that you were trying to impress my hot dog and bun contest. I mean, as it I turns it. out, like, you know, when we had Field Yates on the show, that would have been a much better question than any of the questions we actually asked him. <laughs> you might have actually answered that. No, I mean, that he probably would have answered. Um, you know, didn't so much answer the fantasy questions. Right. Um, but anyway, I asked you this last year and the year before. Yeah, 10 minutes. How many hot dogs and buns could you eat uh, if you had water to wash it down with? And that's it. I really if your life depended get, on it. This is like, you, you know, said, you, you got to do this and you can't throw yeah. up at least not during like the 10 minutes. And for 10 minutes, I could probably do a hot dog a minute. I think I could do, I could do 10 you think in 10 minutes. 10. I, I do think, you think I, you could hit that threshold or I think that would be like that would be like the the ceiling kind of like I mean I I, I would say the seven to ten seven to eleven range seven I, I, I don't know I mean it not not much more than that and definitely no, you know not more than not that. there's accounting no way. for the fullness like I'm just thinking in terms of sheer pace like I could probably do a hot dog a minute but once you hit six I'm sure it just starts to feel horrendous yeah yeah I'm, right and it, it's possible maybe like in the course of the 10 minutes maybe you could outrun the sickness and then just like yeah. you just stuff them in your mouth and then i don't know i'm not <laughs> experienced in this i would like to try sometime we should have an rsj hot dog an eating RSJ, contest yeah, like yeah. let's say like One next year like next year we should get the, the, the guys together and just say like okay we're gonna do it doesn't even have to be on the fourth but it should be like around the fourth 
Yeah, whenever we, we do our summit next summer, you okay. know how we always try to have our summer meeting? We'll make sure a hot dog eating contest is a part of that. As my kids are getting older, it's more and more likely I'll be able to come to a summit one of these. But right, honestly, I wouldn't have wanted to come to the to the beach summit anyway because I got a serious dad bod going right now. I got a year to get this thing uh, – you know, to get this thing right. Dad bods are in there. I've, I've, I've been trying to get daddier and daddier on the bod as we speak. That's what, that's what all the ladies like these days. That's what the ladies like. Oh geez. Well, I don't want to come then because I, I've already got a woman. I don't want to come and like steal all the pers- <laughs> the prospective women from you losers. Um, <laughs> that's all you need. That's all you need is kind of a, you know, you know, kind of chubby 42 year old guy. Cause I will be 42 by next summer. <laughs> You won't be stealing any from CJ because he's got a real pipe anyways. So. What, pregnant? <laughs> we're at the, exactly. We're at, we're at the beach and like a, a woman in a two-piece that was pregnant walked by. And like Keegan and Jimmy and me just all looked at CJ and he was just locked in on Was it like, was it like a there. movie from like the 80s where like you see his eyes pan across and he like drops exactly. like the drink in his hand? Or like yeah, he has a cigarette like and it like all of a sudden it's dangling from his lip just like stuck there? <laughs> Oh exactly. man, yes. I do have to come to one of these things. All right. Yeah, anyway, this we got a good episode here. Um, oh yeah. yeah, you know uh, the wolf's actually going on vacation, or or at least he's leaving recording. The, he's leaving the ability to record behind for a few days, so we're yeah. gonna get a couple episodes in the bank here. Uh, this is the first one I've done with him in a little while, um, and this is gonna be all about breaking down the schemes and the fantasy impact of the new under the radar offensive coordinators. Uh, we're, there's a bunch of them, but we're gonna do three. The three that the, the Wolf deemed most important. One of the things about these episodes, we do a lot of like off season winners losers, and I love doing those, and we're gonna be doing those as well. The ones like this, you're really not going to find too many other fantasy podcasts, if any, that are actually doing these, at least, and certainly not on the level we're doing this. Offensive coordinator, I mean, anybody who's paying attention to football, fantasy football, or whatever, whether you're a casual fan or you consider yourself like a stat head or an expert, I mean, your offensive coordinator, that's everything. Okay, you got to have the talent and stuff like that. But I mean, I always bring it back to, to, you know, obviously I'm a huge John Elway disciple. I mean, the guy played under Dan Reeves, which was like, you know, they don't play offense like that anymore. Okay, Mm -hmm. and it's great. You know, some people say John Elway maybe is the greatest talent like to play quarterback ever. It didn't matter in that system. Like the guy was going to throw like 20 touchdowns a year and stuff like that. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we're talking about somebody from, you know, 35 years ago or 25 years ago or 20 years ago. The fact is who your offensive coordinator in is matters almost as much as your supporting cast and your talent. So pay attention to these. These three guys might give you some gems that nobody else happens to be looking at. Um, anything to add to that? I mean, I, I feel like I've pumped up the, the, the job pretty substantially there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've seen just even in recent years how crucial it can be. Just two years ago, the Rams went from literally the lowest scoring team to the highest scoring team in the league under Sean McVay. Largely the same roster. Yeah, they added yeah. a few weapons. They stabilized the line a bit. It, it wasn't just the coaching scheme, but there's no way Jeff Fisher would have made those additions and then taken that offense all the way from first uh, last to, to worst to first. You know what I mean? So we've seen recent examples. Even last year, the ba- the Bears went 28th to 9th from John Fox to Matt Nagy, which we called. We said he was going to be the next McVay. Pretty humongous leap into the top 10 there. The Colts similarly went 30th to 8th. A lot of that did have to do with Andrew Luck returning, no doubt about it. But Frank Reich seemed to just really understand the quarterback's strengths and, and how to use them the right way. So we just every year, there's always a few teams that leap up. And we've already kind of previewed the huge 
huge ones, the ones that a lot of sites might also be doing, like the Air Raid in Arizona. We had yeah. Hollingshead on and, and episode 77, ffbdpod.com slash 77. If you haven't heard that one, it's fantastic. We profiled some of the bigger names uh, in, in our first coaching carousel, and that was all the way back in episode 67. Still very, very relevant. Not a whole ton has changed about any of those. They're still the coaches, and those teams are largely the same compositions of their roster. So ffbdpod.com slash 67 if you want to hear that one. Those are the two I would say. If you haven't heard it, we've already done a couple coaching breakdowns. These are more of like those sneaky, either first-time coordinators that were trying to figure out what exactly are they going to do. And I also added Greg Roman, the the Ravens' new coordinator, because he runs an offense unlike any other. So I thought these three were kind of under the radar. No one's really talking about it, but they could just completely transform what these teams do. And obviously the fantasy values around them. So I'm excited to dig right into these, but we also have some news we're going to cover beforehand. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's been about a week since we've talked, and that's Tyree Kill. I don't know if you want to kind of intro that one. Well, I want to get uh, first, let's do our let's do our uh, glossary word and then and then and then we'll do Tyree Kill. And so this episode of the Road Street Journal brought to you and uh, we aspire to one day get this fantasy glossary out. I actually did a ton of work on this over the, like the past year and stuff. And, and unfortunately a lot of the examples that I've done are now like a year old. They, they feature guys I, that often are not I even in the NFL that. anymore. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to find feel, the most I, pathetic <laughs> guy I can find. I'm going to use him in this example, which was great. Had we published it then the next year, everyone's like, well, who is that? Does he even play football? <laughs> there was some, cause I've actually been updating it. Uh, yeah, throughout I can the tell. off season. I took like a week where I just went to Starbucks and it's almost actually all updated. It's just figure out how to get it on the site the best way but there was somewhere we were like talking about aerial pie and it was the year that we knew aj green was going to be a target hog like 2014 right, right, right. or 2015 or whatever it was and there's a great line about how like their backup tight end was going to have a minimal slice right, right, right. and i was just like i forget the guy's name but it no was i do classic, too that's, like, the, that's the whole issue that's like, the whole something issue like that. no i said something about him um I, I said that he would starve or something exactly like that. yeah <laughs> right. it was a fantastic maybe that's why he's not in the league sadly, anymore <laughs> he started yeah, he star- he's, way out of the league. he's, he's with the intern room. locked in a basement <laughs> exactly um, all right well anyway bell cow um first definition now a running back that's fed fed and then fed some more as near as every down player can be a bell cow can handle the entire workload without being part of the dreaded backfield committee also featured in the glossary, by the way, and mm-hmm. often gets better with usage. Bell cows grade very high in usage slash volume. I mean, let's be honest, every, every real contender in a fantasy league needs a bell cow, maybe two, maybe three bell cows. Um, and a synonym for bell cow would be a workhorse. Uh, an example here, and I'm going to let you handle the second example, but the first example, fresh off 321 <laughs> touches during his sophomore breakout, Christian McCaffrey is re- redefining the term bell cow. It's true. Meanwhile, the Wolf has been waiting three years for Derrick Henry to assume the bell cow role and his dreams, his wet dreams, that is, may come true in 2019 <laughs> after Henry's dominant fishing to, uh, finish to the 2018 year. So that's a way, you know, bell cow applies to fantasy where, of course, with most fantasy terms, we're big believers in this. You can apply these to real life as well. So what's another example you can use for bell cow? <laughs> this one actually was pretty recently. I, I don't know if the, the last part of the sentence is true, but it's yeah. certainly going to be if he continues to be a bell cow. And that's CJ. Instead mm. of doing his real job, CJ was a bell cow for Roto Street at work today, writing four articles and making three Instagram posts. He was promptly fired. So bell cow. Not for Morris J. No, we we love what CJ. Oh no, CJ will never be. CJ's a great bell. He's he's a legit 
RSJ, but he, we give him a, lot, a hard yeah. time. But the, the guy is uh, – he is a bell cow. Yeah, he gets fed and fed and fed some more. And, that, and that's just like the real world type of application if you're in a job where you just work your ass off all 24-7, versatile. You get it all done. You never need a substitution. Yeah, my wife's a bell, a bell cow. cow. And, and we salute you. Oh, Anna is an absolute yeah, bell cow. She's an absolute bell cow. Oh, my she's God. Like, Probably the best bell cow I've ever she's seen the, She's like – She's like Zeke, but catches more passes. Right, um, exactly. More versatile. Even and, and Zeke's versatile, but she's even more versatile. And never right. gets injured, by the way. Never gets what? Never gets injured. Yeah, exactly. So you're Just gonna get sixteen yeah. games. Every single season, you're getting sixteen games. Yeah. All right, let, let's talk. About, so I mean, anyway, we got tons of definitions like that. Uh, we got a lot of definitions that you would know if you were into fantasy at all, and we have a lot of our own terms actually that we're trying to <laughs> introduce into the fantasy lexicon, and some we've already made some headway on. So check them out. Uh, you know, it, it's a re- a good resource, but it's also like very entertaining, fun. It's you know written by us largely, and if you like listening to us, you probably like reading our definitions. All right, yeah. let's get down to the one piece of breaking fantasy news this week, and this is of course the many fantasy implications of Tyreek Hill's impending. It looks like what a four game suspension. Um, you know, we were talking like maybe the guy's never going to play football again. Uh, certainly won't play football this season again. It looks like that is not the case. So obviously, there's two mm-hmm. ways to look at this. There's you know. What do we think of this personally, which is, you know, probably less important on a fantasy podcast on uh, what the fantasy implications are. And then what are the fantasy implications? The guys going to be missing four games. I'll just tell you right off the bat, if he's going to miss four games, uh, that makes him an absolute must draft, like steal. Like once you get past a certain round, I don't know what round, mm-hmm. third, third, fourth, whatever, you got to get the guy. I mean, it's like yep. that. That's how I felt about Julian Edelman last year, who is certainly, you know, no Tyreek Hill. Uh, but very valuable, and I was like, yeah, you got to get this guy if you can get him in the fifth or sixth round. Uh, do that minus a round or two with Tyreek Hill. You got to get the guy. Four games is nothing in the scheme of things. He could be the highest scoring receiver in the league. What do you think? I mean, you're spot on with your fantasy take. I actually liken him to a fantasy wrecking ball. We call these players in the glossary the jugular players that there's really no one else that can just grab your opponent's throat and rip it out and just end the day in in the blink of an eye. This guy is so explosive. He can rip a a six-yard pass 90 yards down the field. He tracks the deep ball better than anybody. Of course, he has the best deep ball thrower in the league, and Patrick Mahomes ripping it to him. There's nobody that comes with the ceiling of Tyree Kill that can just put up 40 out of nowhere within two plays. So, of course, as you mentioned, if it's only four games, and that's apparently the maximum. Uh, you mentioned personally, like, wh- yeah. how is deflated balls and then being somewhat, whether it's allegations, whether it's real, related to breaking <laughs> your kid's arms, somehow those two are equal in, in Hitler Goodell's eyes. I have no idea, but again, as you mentioned, it's not about our personal takes, it's about the fancy value. Tyree Kill is still Tyree Kill. 12 games of Tyree Kill, and that's, again, the maximum you'll be without him is four games. So 12 games of Tyree Kill is better than 16 of nearly every single other player that ah, cut off yeah. personally that I have, as you mentioned, yeah, what's that? is within round three. I have him at 33 overall right now, my 13th wide receiver. And honestly, I might bump him up even more. That was just kind of like the gut reaction where I put him. He's right behind Amari Cooper and then right ahead, like the Vikings receivers for me. I might move him ahead of Cooper and some of these other guys too. Yeah, maybe. Details unfold. I'm still like making sure it's only four games. That's still just speculation after this meeting reportedly was a successful one. Again, how do you have a successful meeting about a, a guy breaking his kid's arm? I don't know. It's all fucked up. But still, regardless, a successful meeting. He presented a lot of evidence to support him. He's probably only going to be off the field for four games. So, yeah, he slides right up into those top, you know, top 
high-end wide receiver twos of the, the Vikings and the Julian Edelmans, the Brandon Cooks. He's so, above all those guys and, and kind of just that low-end wide receiver one. He was the number one scoring look, receiver in fantasy last year, and he'll probably be, for those 12 games, the number one scoring wide receiver over those 12 or damn close. What receivers would you draft above him right now, assuming he misses four games, the first four games? What receivers would you take before him? Yeah, so if he's at wide receiver 13, I mean, that means you obviously have the big like the, the big four of DeAndre Hopkins and you got Odell Beckham and you have, you know, I'm trying to think just off the top of my head, who are the, those just like locked in Devontae, Devontae Adams, Adams in round one. Probably like A.J. Um, Green you got Mike over Mike Thomas. Uh, A.J. Green, I think I might have Tyreek above A.J. Green. I'm, I'm pulling up my wide receivers right I now. I would so rather I have, have Tyreek than A.J. Green. I, I would, too. I have Hopkins, Adams, Beckham, Julio. And this is in order, too. Uh-huh. Hopkins, Adams, Beckham, Julio, Mike Thomas, Antonio Brown, Juju, Evans, Keenan Allen, Hilton, and A.J. Green and Cooper. But A.J. Green, Cooper, there, like Hilton, Keenan Allen, like he could penetrate I think that. You have, could, I mean, I, I hate saying this. I think you have him too low. Yeah, he might be. Honestly, like I, I might take him above Cooper and A.J. Green. And I think that, he's probably you know, I, I think I he's maybe him. like the wide receiver eight or something. Yeah, he I mean, might. Mike Evans might be where I cut it off because Mike Evans would be ridiculous. You know, I, that, he's still like the target hog of Bruce Arians, and he's been such a monster. So uh, I, I'd probably put him right around like nine. If I was going to bump him up to the highest, I'd take him. Again, this was just gut reaction. Yeah, Third, yeah, yeah. And 33 overall. So, uh, I, I mean, again, 12 games of Tyreek is way better than 16 of nearly every single player in the league. Uh, and then I also did a little in and terms bump of for like, Pat Mahomes, by the way. Oh, uh, we'll talk. Yeah, because we got Mahomes to cover. We have Sammy Watkins to cover. We have McCole Hardman. So there's some big takeaways we still have to hit beyond just Hill's value himself. But in terms of what do you do for those four games then? And what I also noticed, too, was two of those four games come against the second hardest and most hardest uh, pass defenses in the league, the Jaguars and Ravens. So, I mean, not that Hills really ever gets taken out of a game, but two of those games would be two of the potential duds. He usually has a couple duds. Maybe those two you, you avoid him and there's some early season options I, I love the penny stock receivers this year and i looked ahead at who has some really early season easy schedules we got dante pettis for the 49ers we got dante Moncrief for the steelers deshaun jackson for the eagles if sanders is healthy or any of those broncos receivers they've got a cakewalk schedule and the seahawks so whether it's dk metcalf i mean tyler lockett wouldn't be a replacement he'd be one of your starters but dk metcalf maybe maybe just take a shot at david moore and hope for some touchdowns there's a lot of just last you know last 12 to 13 round receivers that could help fill this maybe even take just McCole Hardman that penny stock they drafted to kind of be their insurance policy the Chiefs did maybe he becomes your insurance policy in round 12 or 13 so there's tons of insurance policies to get through those four weeks and then get you to the Tyreek Hill just gold mine that that fantasy jugular player again yeah I mean it's going to make the drafts a lot more interesting I mean you know I, I hate the guy but Certainly love the fantasy intrigue, having him out there, seeing people have to make decisions about a guy that's going to miss a bunch of games. Looking forward to seeing how that shakes out in like August, which is actually not that far away. Jeez. Absolutely. So in terms of those other guys you mentioned, like Mahomes, yeah. to me, when when he was going to lose Hill for the season, he was still my quarterback one. Yeah. Uh, but, but he had to get bumped down back to like that same tier as Andrew Luck and Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson. Kind of that he was no longer 
a god above them. He was more so going in that range. But if he only has Tyreek Hill off the field for four games and you have to just weather that storm for a little bit, and weathering a storm with Mahomes is very easy. So absolute just monstrous talent that he now kind of leaps back up into that tier by himself, jumped about 10 overall spots on my big board, and is now just – there's no other QB. Before, you could have maybe justified Andrew Locke or Baker to me and said, you know, the weapons are just that much better for these other guys. At this point, though, Mahomes is right back in his own tier. Sammy Watkins was the one that was absolutely pummeled in this move. His, you know, before I was pretty high on Sammy Watkins, I was about 10 to 15 spots higher than the experts because not not because I love Watkins himself, but this role would have come yeah. with so much upside if he was the number one wide receiver for Pat Mahomes. That's a top five potential fantasy ceiling. Definitely. We've seen Watkins have top five seasons before. Back in his sophomore year, he's kind of dominated when he was a target hog, and it looked like he was about to be a target hog for the best offense in the league. Instead of Tyrod Taylor, he would have had you know Mahomes throwing passes, but now he kind of slides right back down into below Hill, below Kelsey, probably below the running backs. So you're looking at third, fourth on the target totem pole. I don't see a whole ton that's different from last season. So whereas before, I'd be much more willing to stomach that awful injury risk that comes with Watkins. Now with such a capped ceiling and and an unpredictable usage, there's no reason to take that risk and plunge where he's going anymore. So I went from about 20 spots above the experts on him to now like 30 spots below. He dropped 46 spots in my rankings did Sammy Watkins. And the last person to cover is just McCole Hardman, the guy they drafted as their their kind of potential insurance plan. He was one of my favorite penny stocks, thinking he might have a you know 16-game starting role. Now he's going to slide to beyond even Sammy Watkins. So we're talking fifth on the target totem pole. Maybe worth a stab, but honestly, I, I'm not going all out to get McCole Hardman anymore either. Yeah, uh, I mean, Sammy Watkins, I remember CJ took him in our mock draft, and he was the pick before me. I was going to take him, and CJ took him out from under me. Um, and now, Good thing you did. Right? Yeah, good thing I didn't. And also the guy who took Tyreek Hill in the ninth round looks really smart now. Oh, hey. yeah, Dan Heggs. And, oh, my God, yeah, he has him as, like, his flex. You're just like, Shit. Yeah, you're like, great, yeah. great, great. Anyway. And so, that was one of the things we talked about. And he about. even said why. He was right. He's like, what if he isn't suspended for the year? And like, I think oh, all now I've got like, Tyreek Hill. Shit. Like, you're right. Even half a year in round nine would have been nice. And this is what we talked about, I think, two, last time me and you were together, which was episode 82, ffbdpod.com slash 82, where we did draft day takeaways. I know we were yeah. talking about like, what is this value? What do we do with Tyreek Hill? Yeah. Now we finally have some clarity. But if you haven't heard that one, that was one of our, I think, best episodes we've had in a long <laughs> that was, time with that, that draft one. Funny. Yeah, that, yeah. That we've, had, we've been clicking. We haven't been – you've been doing so many pods. The ones we've done have all – pretty much all been pretty good uh but it's yeah, like sprinkled like in there every up. third fourth fifth podcast now right <laughs> anyway um so anyway that's the Tyree kill news we talked a little longer about that than i was planning but it's big news it's i mean that's legitimately big fantasy news for the very beginning of july and and we don't even have resolution to it yet so we'll see what happens looks like a decision's probably coming before too long all right, featured segment, mystery offensive coordinators. These are the guys uh, that we're tracking that maybe no one else is or maybe not as closely as us. All you got, you don't have to do the tracking uh, yourself. All you got to do is listen to this podcast and mm-hmm. let the Wolf do the heavy lifting for you. So, Wolf, uh, real quick, I know you talked about this before. Why is this so important? I feel like I made this point. You already reiterated it. But we're going to get into the three actual targets of this podcast. Why is this such an important thing to essentially base a podcast around? 
And again, it's a, uh, we already kind of introed this in the beginning, so I'm not going to go in nearly as much depth. Yeah, sure. But when we talk about that fantasy stock formula, you got your individual talent, you got your usage, and then you got surrounding talent. And our next kind of indicated tie, tied with that surrounding talent in terms of what's the most important factors for a person's fantasy value, coaching scheme is right up there as well uh, in terms of creating it. That usage, which we grade out as 25 points, is often dictated by the scheme and the roles these coaches create for their characters so when you got a guy that is creative in in like you bring vertical concepts and bringing college concepts and all these interesting things and doing things the nfl hasn't ever seen before and uses his players the right way that kind of all factors into it is how does he manage his roles and talent what type of roles does he create for them and what kind of ingenuity does this guy bring to the the overall nfl that's kind of what we look at when we're grading out these coaches and these are just the three that i think no one's really talking about or that we just don't really know yet. So some of these are a little bit speculation-based, but a lot of good comments about these coaches and their past histories and whatnot have led me to create what I really think they're going to do. And I think it's important because there's some interesting pieces in these offenses that that could get a huge boost if used the right way. And I'm excited to see what these coordinators do with their talent. All right, well, the teams we're going to be hitting are the Broncos, the Cowboys, and the Ravens. And honestly, Mm -hmm. I look at all these teams and I think, man, there's a wide range of what I am mm-hmm. expecting from all. So this is actually, uh, I think, a, a great, you know, great three teams to start things off with. Rich Scangarello. Scangarello. I think how you say this one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's your Broncos. Come on. You got to get your Broncos. The Skang right? man. The Skang. Uh, you know, he's the Broncos' <laughs> new offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, he's going to be the jet pack that's going to be making Joe Flacco fly this year. So talk to us about Rich Skang and, uh, you know, and tell us why this is important. I, and I think one thing you kind of noted there too is as you read those offenses, you're like, none of these three are that sexy or intriguing. Like the Cowboys, maybe they got some intriguing talent, but Broncos and Ravens. And that's kind of why I purposely picked them is no one wants to talk about them. It looks like they're talentless. But when you actually look at how this coordinator might use these guys, I think we got some interesting things. And we start with, with Rich Scangarello, uh, formerly of the 49ers. He was their QBs coach last year. And if you watched any 49ers ball, you know Nick Mullins and C.J. Bethard played surprisingly well once um, once Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt there last year and they often praised and Kyle Shanahan often praised Rich Scangarello who clearly just kind of parlayed this into his now biggest play calling gig of his career he's got a really interesting story I won't go into all the details but make sure you check out rotostreetjournal.com if you're kind of into these type of stories most of his career he's been a D2 offensive coordinator in college kind of no names uh, but he realized his system was almost mirroring what he saw Kyle Shanahan doing when he was with the Texans. He's like, oh my God, this NFL coach is doing exactly what I like to run. Started showing his players Kyle Shanahan fought, fought, like style film from the Texans. These concepts are what we do as well. This is how he coaches them. And ultimately it was like, this guy's a genius. I need to go work under Kyle Shanahan if I actually truly want to become the, the bright mind and reach my ceiling as a coach. So he took like an internship gig. He was getting paid pretty decent money at the college gig. Took an internship gig. He was like sleeping on couches and stuff to work as a quality control coach under Kyle Kyle Shanahan and, and Shanahan was like, who the hell is this guy? I thought he was like a <laughs> lineman coach, but he's asking me about plays I ran like seven years ago. What the hell is this guy doing? And then realized like he's something special, kind of started grooming him. So 
he comes from the Shanahan tree, no doubt. We know he's going to use a Shanahan-style system because he's been using it for years. So what exactly does that mean? Heavy emphasis on the zone-blocking running game, establishing the run first, so then you can kind of create and marry the passing game to that with play action, with screens off design runs. That's really what the Shanahan scheme is about. And, of course, just going for chunk plays. He said, you know, Shanahan, what he taught me most is if you can score on the play, you go for the throat every single time. And when we've seen these offenses at their best, it's amazing to watch a well-executed Shanahan tree-style system. So that's why I'm excited for what this guy could bring to the table. And if he was able to get, you mentioned Joe Flacco, and it's like, uh, does anyone really want a piece of a Joe Flacco offense? I mean, again, the 49ers were right in that top 10, top three in rushing, top 10 overall scoring with these shitty backup quarterbacks because of that this system. So I think Flacco, even though he's not nearly as elite as people might Terrible. think, he's pretty horrible, could end up being a decent enough option to at least make other interesting fantasy pieces here. So that's kind of an overview of the scheme and what he's going to do. With all these, we're going to kind of give you a quick picture of what the scheme is. That Shanahan, again, heavy run, marrying the pass and run games um, to to confuse the defenses. And what does that mean for their fantasy products? So coming from there, the the first and most important guy is Philip Lindsay, that breakout player last the undrafted free agent rookie. One of my favorite players 1278 total yards 10 tds uh he's getting completely disrespected throughout fantasy falling to round four and even round five in early drafts right now and with scandrell this zone blocking scheme here i'm already calling his breakout was no fluke he's going to ultimately be one of the best values of 2019 drafts if this doesn't start correcting itself uh one because that zone blocking scheme is so beautiful it, it hails all the way back to gary kubiak and if you've been listening to this podcast you've heard us rave about kubiak and what it means for Dalvin Cook. 15 running backs over 1,200 yards, 13 out of over 1,480, 10 over 1,600, you know, 7 over 1,800 in 22 years. So over, you know, 70% have been over 1,200 yards. Crazy numbers like that. It's a, just a money scheme, especially for a guy like Lindsey, who thrives when you read his his scouting report. The, the strengths goes from patient to urgent as a runner, contorts through crevices and finds the second level, runs with timing and instincts. All stuff you saw on tape last year as you watched him play those are like the, the most crucial attributes to thriving in a, a zone running scheme and last year he averaged 6.2 yards per carry on the outside zone 5.04 in the inside zone as compared to 3.81 for Royce Freeman on those zone runs so a lot of people are like Royce Freeman's going to come in he's going to be better and he's he's going to take some more work it, last year Lindsay was the one that was obviously dominating as is especially dominant on the zone runs which Royce Freeman hasn't been great at uh, so I truly expect that Lindsay's going to dominate. And the last thing for him, too, is Flacco loves throwing to his running backs. He's targeted running backs over the last three seasons. 24% of his throws have gone to the running backs. That's the fourth highest rate behind Breeze, Brady, and Trubisky. So we know Lindsay, one of the most able pass catchers in the league, and so explosive in space. This game, again, is very based on screen heavies when you come from the the Shanahan tree. Lindsay is incredible in the screen game because you just rip it so far up the the field. So he is the one that is most impacted, in my opinion, from Rich Scan. Andrello being there. But I do have a few more if we have time to uh, go into at least one more player I think could be a real big fantasy Hit one more player. And that would be Noah Fant. 
I think he's going to be an immediate top eight fantasy tight end, even as a rookie. And this is one of the hardest positions to ever translate to right. in the NFL. Very rarely do we see rookie tight ends actually do anything meaningful. But I, I'm calling it now that this guy's going to be a beast. The reason being is George Kittle was in the same Kyle Shanahan scheme under Rich Gangarello last year. Breaks out for 88 receptions, 1,305 TDs. Sets the record for yardage from a tight end. Uh, and now he is going to be from Iowa. He mentors uh, – fan all offseason says we're working together i'm giving him the ins and outs of this offense so you got this guy noah fant who is an absolute physical specimen monster six four runs a four five forty even faster than kittle and this offense is all about just churning open field for for you to run in the down the seams and go deep and yak opportunities for a seam stretcher it's absolutely perfect john elway said you know i think the success that kittle had in san fran while scandrello was there speed tight ends can be very effective in this offense and they made sure to trade up go get their guy uh noah fant to do that and and Joe Flacco has already openly admitted I love targeting tight ends. They've ranked in the highest in the league. Todd Heap tar- you know, led the league in targets just a few seasons ago. He's the fifth highest rate Joe Flacco in targeting his tight end with 23% of the looks going to him. He said, I love fan. I love the way he runs. We're already clicking in OTAs. So this to me is that kind of, there's no real other clear target competition, whether it's Sanders, you got the torn Achilles, and it's like, is he going to fully ever bounce back? I'm not a believer in Cortland Sutton. I think Noah Fant could kind of step in here, and just like Kittle was that dominant magnet for the 49ers offense, I think he could be a rookie and still be one of those monster target hog tight ends. Uh, He's getting pretty much undrafted at this point. So that's a guy last round, just take him, stash him on the bench and see what happens. He's going against history. Again, the tight ends have not been good as rookies, but this guy really could be a monster from the start because I think the scheme is going to be perfect for him. All right, a team that maybe at least on face value seems a little bit more fantasy relevant, fantasy interesting, the Cowboys, and they at least have a, a bell cow running back, and they've got you know an A-list receiver. Um, got a coach that I'm not a huge fan of. But anyway, Kellen Moore, Cowboys' new offensive coordinator. Why should we be excited or why should we be freaked out? I think we should be excited again because Scott Linehan was an absolute bozo that just did nothing with this intriguing talent he's had. The Cowboys ranked 22nd in points and total yardage, but they, as you mentioned, they got a bell cow in Zeke, Amari Cooper, a nice target hog wide receiver. One, Dak Prescott's been solid throughout his NFL career so far, one of the better offensive lines. The fact that they only put up 22 points is embarrassing, and that's why Scott Linehan, even though they made the playoffs, even though they won a playoff game, isn't back because they think Kellen Moore, who was their quarterback's coach last year, can unlock a lot more of the upside that these guys have. So what is he going to do? How is he going to do that? He is all about confusing the defense, making it impossible to predict what they're going to do through three ways. Changing up the pace, especially going you know up-tempo, really fast pace, varying the formations, and then using a ton of pre-snap motion to just move things around. That was really what happened at Boise State, where Kellen Moore is the all-time NCAA's winningest uh, quarterback. He knows a thing or two about offenses that work. They were all about motion and motion this and this guy goes out and you just have no idea where people are and it's pretty much going to be as more said the same style of offense but it's just going to be a little bit dressed up differently our, our guy uh that i love to watch on twitter's dan orvlosky who played with more as a, a quarterback when they were together in detroit and he was raving about this move saying it's going to be kind of like a mix of a sean sean payton matt nagy uh you know andy reed all these like geniuses he thinks kellen moore has a, a really bright mind it's going to be a, a kind of a of all their 
staples and all those concepts. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of what they already do, which is run, run, run some more, and then try to try to go deep in and do that Air Coriel style offense off the play action and whatnot. Once you have that established run game, they're just going to make it a lot more confusing for defenses, so you don't know exactly where the ball's going, uh, who you know Zeke might motion out wide, things like that. They just dress it up a, a little bit differently. As Orthlowski said, it's kind of like when you have that blue suit that you, you know what you have and you, you know what you're going to wear to the wedding, but you might dress it up a little bit with like new cufflinks or a different tie or things like that. It's just going to be the presentation that really changes. Um, and, and that could just make it much more difficult to just stop these weapons if you can't key on them and you don't know where Amari Cooper is and whatnot. What does that mean exactly for fantasy? Dak Prescott, in my opinion, mm. is the guy that benefits the most here. You uh, like you like Prescott this year. I really do. And I, I, if you don't, I don't know if you realize this, but Prescott's actually been a top 10 quarterback for his only three straight seasons. He's only been in the league for three years. I He's didn't been top realize 10 that. Every single year. Only Russell Wilson and Drew Brees have also been top 10 in these last three seasons uh, for all three of them. He topped 21 fantasy points in six of their last games after getting Cooper, whereas he was just averaging under 17 before that. So that was huge to finally give this guy a legit weapon. He should just take a natural step forward. He's the QB7 over that span. Should take a natural step forward just by having better weapons. But then you get the guy that was his quarterback coach last year to now be calling the plays. A guy that's going to make defenses more confused. And I think in particular, is really going to use Dak's rushing ability where, where he's at his most dangerous. Um, he said, we're going to try our best to help change the launch point of where Dak's throwing. He throws very well on the move. So using him that way, but even more so using those skills as a red zone rusher. Dak has been probably the best red zone rusher in the league these uh, last three years. The Athletic pointed out that he averaged 4.46 yards per carry and 18 touchdowns in the red zone over these three seasons, whereas the average was 2.64 yards per carry because of how congested it is in there. This guy is dangerous off the zone read. I think he uses Prescott a lot more as a rusher. We might even see, you know, seven to ten rushing touchdowns, whereas he's gotten six these last few years. A little bit of spike there helps him even more. They've had tons of red zone woes. And Kellen Moore, he said the first way we address that is using 21, Zeke, and four better in there. Apparently in early OTAs as well, they've been going a lot more spread in the, the red zone, you know, empty backfield, five wide, and Dak's been doing a ton of designed runs out of that. Or if the defense, cla- you know, jams up the box he has an easy pass so just a lot more red zone involvement for Prescott means he could even better those back to back to back top 10 finishes at QB he's going as the QB 20 right now despite the success he's already had and now he has better weapons for a full season and a better play caller to me I think Kellen Moore really just sends him flying and of course with with Zeke and Cooper and these kind of studs you're going to be drafting earlier it never would hurt to have a more efficient offense where you're getting moved around getting more creatively used even if the numbers drop a little bit because he likes to get a lot of his weapons involved Kellen Moore does I think the the sheer efficiency in terms of scoring Zeke only had I think six rushing touchdowns last year if he gets back to that 15 of his rookie season because this offense is in the red zone a lot more and then continues to have those 77-ish receptions he set last year Kellen Moore loves to, to throw the running back so I mean you maintain that receiving balance you get more scoring opportunities let's say he gets back to 12 he would have been by far are the, the number two running back in fantasy last year. So that lack of touchdowns, I think, gets helped out by Zeke. They use their, their linemen a lot more creatively in the blocking scheme, with a lot more pulls and pin block, all that good stuff. So I think Zeke's going to see more gaping lanes because the offense is going to be more, more uh, difficult to defend, more scoring chances. So I think Dak and Zeke in particular really gain a ton by Kellen Moore being there. All right, last but not least, or maybe last and least, we'll see, uh, Greg Roman of the Ravens. 
you know, never a sexy thing to talk about. Although, you yeah. know, with the you know change at quarterback, possibly a little sexier than usual. Sexier than Joe Flacco is a low bar. So, you know, let's just, I'm just going to come out and say it. They're sexier this year than they were last year. Greg Roman, does he make this offense sexier or not? In a way, yes. He makes certain parts of the offense way sexier. He's like a pair of nice fitting uh, fitting jeans, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Right. He could laser in on that one area. And the legs make sense to zoom in on for Greg Roman because it's all about the run game with this guy. So well chosen, Dad. The the nice pair of jeans. He's a great pair of jeans because the rest of this offense is probably going to be hideous, but the running game should be monstrous. Uh, And that's kind of perfect for how this team is built with Lamar Jackson, the dual threat, one of the more dynamic runners we've ever seen at the QB position. Greg Roman has had some success with Colin Kaepernick and Tyrod Taylor, the only other quarterbacks he's had as his coordinator. His offenses have always been crafted around mobile quarterbacks and building a a ridiculous run game to maximize their skills as well as the backfield. So he's all about similar to Kellen Moore, using a wide variety of formations, a lot of different motions. And in particular, uh, when you read about him, he's kind of a mad scientist when it comes to run blocking. Whereas one team might, the Shanahan, very into zone blocking, or another team might be all about power blocking and man blocking and gaps. This guy loves to marry just a ton of different cars. Concepts. He'll pull on jet sweeps and do all these just ridiculous type of schemes and concepts. And you can never really know what the running game is going to do. It asks a lot of the blockers. It asks a lot of the running back. But when they have the talent at both of those, it can be one of the most deadly things out there. And it's as run heavy as they come. He's never been below the top eight in attempts or rushing yardage in the league in his five years calling plays. And conversely, he's never been anything higher than the bottom four in terms of passing attempts. So it's going to be a run-focused, run-centric attack, and it's going to be one of the best run games in the NFL this year. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, of course, Mark Ingram, the new workhorse there, is going to be set for his highest volume yet. He's, He's been kind of trapped in a committee for his entire eight-year career in New Orleans. That's the Sean Payton way, uh, and he's he's never seen. He's only topped 200 touches in four of his eight seasons. He's never had more than 230 carries. All of those are going to be set to spike because this guy is a great downhill runner, a great receiver, can kind of fit into any blocking scheme. Has nice patience and and, and vision when you want to do the zone runs. Reads the poles and whatnot really well. A versatile runner, especially because of his downhill bruising style. That's going to fit what he. Wants to do uh, Greg Roman quite well. If you talk about who does Mark Ingram get compared to a lot as a runner, and that's prime Frank Gore because they're both such a downhill, just steamrolling runners. And Gore had some great success. Never was below the RB twenty in in Greg Roman's scheme. Uh, Always topped at least two hundred and eighty touches, and always topped twelve hundred or more yards from scrimmage. So Ingram's definitely in line for about two hundred to three hundred, two hundred eighty to three hundred touches. I would say. which will be by far the highest in his career. He's been hyper-efficient these last few years. He's among the league's leader in, in terms of yards per carry over these last four years. Only Todd Gurley's been better. Uh, he's, he's been dominant in terms of the, the what he does with the work he gets. That will probably drop a little bit because the volume's going to increase, but that volume is going to be so valuable in such a run-heavy scheme. I would just caution, Roman hasn't had a... a 
uh, tremendously pass happy to the running back style. You'd think in a, a dink and dunk style offense, the backs haven't been overly active. McCoy had like a 42 reception pace a couple seasons ago, and that was the highest pace we've yeah. ever seen. Uh, he used Carlos Williams as a goal line hammer once, so maybe Gus Bus becomes a vulture. That could be a concern. But overall, uh, Ingram's so good as a receiver and so good at the stripe. I'm hoping he kind of just strangleholds a third three down every down. We talked about bell cow bell cow roll inside this offense. Uh, I'm thinking 1400 total yards, 10, 10 ish TDs. Mm. He's going as the RB 23 in fourth round. This offense is absolutely perfect for him. Other than that, it's kind of disgusting for the rest of fantasy. So as you meant, jeans are great. The legs, the running game, beautiful here. I think Ingram's going to do a great job. I think Lamar Jackson's going to be used great as a runner as well. But other than that, I, I don't see a ton of upside. A lot of people, Oh, Greg Roman, he had mobile quarterbacks and he's got, he's going to get the best out of Lamar Jackson. Well, none of Colin Kaepernick or Tyrod Taylor in all of their seasons, only once did any of them finish above the QB 16. That was Kaepernick and the ceiling when he had that mass, massive season and everybody's the next big thing. He was only the QB 11. So it's creative and he's going to run a lot. But when you just completely remove this source of points, the passing game, especially in today's NFL, where there's so many inflated 400 yard, three TD passes, passers and all that. When you remove that point source and he becomes pretty much only a runner and Jackson's arm is so shitty that I don't know if he could do all that much more anyways, that really just cuts off such a necessary for your quarterback fantasy wise point source that to me, I'm not going in on Lamar Jackson. I'd much rather have Josh Allen who can do all the running stuff. Dak Prescott who can do all the running stuff. Obviously Kyler Murray, who's in my top eight quarterbacks and can do all the running stuff, but also make the throws. This offense isn't going to give you the aerial volume. And I don't think Jackson could even handle the aerial volume to really justify uh, making him this QB sleeper that a lot of people, he's up to like QB 15 or so in drafts. He's like my QB 20. I'm not touching him. There's a lot of other guys I'd much rather have. So great for Ingram and Jackson as a runner and in real life, I think it's the perfect offense for him. But fantasy wise, I'm kind of avoiding Jackson now. Uh, also, one more aside, Frank Gore, not only all those accolades, was also a, a member of the Road Street Journal Nutcracker set two years in a row. <laughs> and should be still. Until he, right. until I mean, honestly, he probably probably earned it last year, too. Nobody's um, Just by being on a months. roster. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just by being on a roster, you got that nutcracker for your walnuts, your thick yeah. little girthy nuts. I just like it's, like, it's like as wide as like an iPhone, probably. Oh, yeah, easily, at least. <laughs> um, anyway, I digress. All right, we're going to have to wrap it up there because I have to go pick my kid up. Um, hey, so you got any timing? Yeah, it was perfect timing. You got any social media you want to pump up before we take off? Sure thing. RotoStreetJournal.com is our home base. FFBDPod.com is the home base for the podcast specifically. Of course, that's the fantasy fullback dive, paving your path to 2019 titles. So check out both of our home bases. Great content on both of them. And in terms of social media is where you can connect and interact with us. Instagram and Facebook, RotoStreetJournal. Twitter, RotoSTJournal, or me personally, RotoStreetWolf. This is that time of the year. Again, as I alluded to in the beginning, I'm on summer, so I love to interact all day. I'm always writing about the fantasy stuff and I check in on Twitter and like to interact with anybody that's commented to me. So if you like what you heard, 
Find us on all those channels, especially give us a, a rating or review. We love it. On um, we and we've, I've seen we've got a few new ones. Maybe we gotta start shouting them out. Yeah, it's we're up to like fifty reviews or so right now. So give us that review. We'll shout it out here on the pod. It means the world to us truly, though, to to know what we're doing well and if there's things we can do better for you. We, we'd love to do that as well. But we're gonna get you that 2019 title, and that's, that's what it's all about. And it starts now with the under the radar offensive coordinators. Stuff like this is where it, you won't find this anywhere else. Unlikely. All right. Uh, my name is Nat the Truth Jones. And I'm the Wolf. Right. Talk to you guys later. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. We stole the show. At least we stole the show. Straight ahead. Devlin. Second effort. Third effort. Touchdown. That's pretty awesome. That's old fashioned football right there, folks.